Hello there, listener, and welcome once again to The Theater, the podcast of the Royal College of Surgeons of England. This is our final episode of the year, and we are ending 2023 with a really lovely discussion about trainee well-being and how trainers and educational supervisors can support their trainees in discussions around mental health and well-being. We have a fantastic panel for you, led by Dan Barrell, who is the clinical lead for the College's Excellence in Surgical Supervision course. I think this is a really great episode. It touches on how and when to have these discussions around trainee well-being, and also some of the barriers that prevent these conversations from happening. As always, if you want to get in touch with us for any reason, whether to leave us some feedback or to propose an episode topic, you can get in touch with us on social media or by email at podcast.rcseng.ac.uk. We'd love to hear from you. And of course, just the usual podcast reminder to subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcast would be much appreciated. Thank you very much, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the episode. You don't have to ask people how they are just if you're worried about them. That still adds to a trainee's experience. Something I use personally with some of my conversations is where are you on a scale of 1 to 10 at the moment in terms of how happy or, or content you are? And if they say, well, I'm a 7, I'll say, well, what, what would take you to an 8? It is about trust and the trust works both ways. You know, as supervisors, it's our responsibility to lay those foundations, you know, allow the trainee to work with us to, to build from there. It's almost like a, a warm up where they've actually plucked up the courage to say, and actually there's this thing I want to talk about. It's a bit like, you know, the end of a GP consultation, isn't it? Where, you know, the patient spends seven minutes talking about their bad hip and then says, oh, and by the way, doctor. I think as surgeons, we have a brilliant and pathological tendency to try and make things better all the time. And that's something that I think gets to the heart of a lot of why maybe as surgeons, we do find these conversations a bit difficult because we don't always have the answers. You can get help. You can phone a friend if you need to. You can maintain a natural sense of curiosity about things that trainees come back to you with or ask about. Try and get behind them and signpost when you need to. Hi, welcome to the podcast. My name is Dan Beryl. I'm the clinical lead for the Excellence in Surgical Supervision course. And I'm here with some guests to talk about mental health and well-being for trainees and how we as trainers and supervisors can support our trainees by having psychologically savvy conversations. So let's go around the room. Um, hi there, my name is Zaid Alnajar. I'm a GP and I'm a medical director of NHS Practitioner Health um, based in, in London. I'm Robin Brown, I'm an orthopaedic registrar and I'm also the regional welfare representative uh, for the Seven Deanery. Hello, I'm Shirley Chan, I'm a colorectal surgeon and I'm also the return to training lead for Kent, Surrey and Sussex School of Surgery. Thanks very much everybody for joining us. So I guess the first question I want to ask is, why is this important? What do we know about the state of trainee well-being, and therefore why is it important for us to be checking in on them? And uh, I think Zay probably would be the first person to ask that question to. Thanks very much, Dan. So uh, for those who haven't heard of the service, um, I help run NHS Practitioner Health, which is a mental health service for uh, doctors, dentists, and other healthcare professionals across England and Scotland. So as you can imagine, we see a, a number of trainees and, and some of those will be surgical trainees. 
So uh, what, what we have found um, is that over the years, I think the uh, certainly anecdotally, trainees are telling us uh, that they are looking outside of outside of healthcare as um, as di for different different career paths. Um, they're finding work uh, within uh, the specialties, including surgery, uh, emotionally taxing, um, and it's really important uh, at this time for us, to, us as uh, people who are leaders and uh, supervisors of these trainees, to um, manage to have these touch points and, and these psychologically savvy conversations with them to try and understand what it is that's troubling them, what, what will make them, what will help them, what will make them thrive in the roles. And I, I think just uh, reduce the feeling um, that they are going through this alone because we're all, all in, in this together and our ultimate goal is to try and get them, get through training and, and really thrive in the, in, in the roles. Yeah, and you know, we, we know about staffing in the NHS. We know that everybody's under pressure. We know that what we want is a workforce coming through. And does that sort of ring true to you, Robin, as somebody who is a trainee at the moment from you and your peers? Yeah, I mean, I think being a surgical trainee is a really exciting time and it can be a really brilliant time in your career. But it can also bring up some of the toughest times, not just clinically, but also in our personal lives as well. Myself and my colleagues have all gone through periods of feeling very overwhelmed for, again, both work-related and non-work-related reasons. And it can be difficult to talk about that in, in a work environment, um, despite us being in that environment for so long. So I think it can be it feel quite isolating when you feel like you're the only person who is feeling overwhelmed or struggling with this one aspect of their their clinical or, or non-clinical lives at the time. There's a tendency to feel like you just need to cope um, and eventually you cope and cope until everything just breaks down. And at that point, it can be really difficult for trainees and trainers, I think, to try and build things back up again and gain your confidence back. So I think rather than sort of silently suffering, which is what a lot of us have learned to do, having someone ask you how you are doesn't just make you feel valued as a trainee like it would when you ask anyone how they are, uh, that they feel valued. It also think makes you feel like you're not alone and like there's somebody else who has also been through this before and someone else that you've shared that that experience with um, that can help you through it and it just opens up a conversation where we can knit these feelings in the bud before they become much more challenging and lead to the problems that we've seen unfortunately in the media and several of us have had personal experiences with sort of burnout and serious mental health uh, and the unfortunately also suicide in our career which is absolutely tragic so just to echo what robin said what we what we find with trainees at practitioner health is that they are dealing with other issues outside of work. Uh, they're, they're human beings. They're going through um, periods in their life dealing with uh, family illness, death, uh, relationship breakdowns, uh, struggles uh, struggles with sexuality. In some cases, struggles with uh, with uh, with faith backgrounds, um, and all those things play into and have an impact on on how 
uh, one comes across at work and how one deals with work. Uh, we've also found actually increasingly in the last year that Robert mentioned suicide, is, uh, that um, suicidality comes up quite frequently on the, on the patients who register with us. So we had a look back at our registration forms and about a third of patients who registered with us have have had some thought of suicide within the previous two weeks. So that's pretty, pretty um, significant. We also know that having these conversations with people that you are supervising or line manage, I don't really like the, the, the term line manage, but, but people who you um, work with means that they feel better supported, better listened to, and they there are some evidence to show that that protects them from developing mental illness. So Neil Greenberg, who's a eminent professor of psychiatry in, in London, uh, did some work in Afghanistan with the troops. And what he found is that the, the soldiers who had supportive line managers who were confident in having those conversations with soldiers, those soldiers were less predisposed to develop mental health conditions following, uh, following deployment. So there is quite a lot of evidence out there to, to suggest that having these conversations is important and that it works. Thanks, Aid. So I think we can all agree that there's evidence that suggests that having these conversations and checking in on our trainees is really important. We have all become much more aware over the last few years of the issues of health and wellbeing, of burnout, of trainees who are experiencing any sort of challenges in their lives. And obviously that spills over into work. And, you know, I think it's worth repeating that statistic. You know, one in three, I think you said, Zaid, of the people that come into contact with uh, your service report suicidal thoughts in the previous two weeks. Yeah, so we did, uh, we looked at that and uh, tragically, actually, a third of those people um, had some sort of plan or intent to act on those thoughts. So really quite significant. And my feeling is that if we were having conversations like this throughout the workforce, um, that that probably wouldn't be, that's my, my theory, of course, but I think those numbers would, would be less. Um, I, I think if we were just or more minded to check in with ourselves and each other uh, throughout our working lives. So, you know, the levels of distress in the workforce and the feelings of feeling valued and the ability to thrive would be, would just be better. So that moves us nicely on to the next question. And I'm going to come to Shirley for this. Why don't we do it, Shirley? Well, I think there are lots of reasons really, aren't there? I think probably the biggest thing is time. Everyone's busy, trainers are busy, trainees are busy. Trainees especially are trying to get as much experience as they can. Rotors and shifts don't help. And so I think it's finding the time to actually have protected time to have a conversation. And I think sometimes people just don't know what to say or know when the right time is to ask. Because I suspect that a lot of us have seen trainees where you wonder whether something else is going on. But you have to find the right time to ask. And that's just circumstance sometimes or making that time and you know i think it's worth bringing up the surgical stereotype it is a stereotype it's not the reality across the board but surgeons and surgical trainees uh, have very busy jobs lots of competing priorities and traditionally as a group we've not been very good at having any of these sorts of conversations 
And, you know, let's put that out there. We know that's not true for everybody. We hope that surgery is changing, but surgery is still male dominated and usually older white males. And as a stereotype, they're not particularly good at having these sorts of conversations. But again, surely that's fine. The stereotype's out there and hopefully the situation is changing and we help that change by having these sorts of conversations. But even if the stereotype's there, why why don't we do it? Why do that why does that surgical stereotype or that classical surgeon find it difficult to have these conversations? And some of it is probably for me just we feel a bit awkward and we don't really know what to say or how to say it. Does that sort of chime with you and your experience and the experience of other trainers and supervisors? Yeah, I think it does. I think it's not only not knowing what to say. I think some of it's not wanting to appear vulnerable, especially if you're that trainee. I think some of it is that you're worried about if someone then says something, how you then have to deal with it. And so it's very much that there's a there's a surgical front, isn't there, that that is sort of an, an all protective thing. But that doesn't mean that you should always have that and not be human and listen to what's going on around you or what's being said to you. One uh, bit of feedback I've had from some trainers as well is that some trainers don't feel like they want to intrude into people's personal lives. They feel worried that by asking, it will appear as if they're probing into people's either personal lives or, or emotions and that trainees may respond negatively to that. So I think an overall culture and awareness that we it's okay and a normal thing to talk about that, uh, to talk about sort of how you are as part of your normal surgical career should help to to maybe address some of those thoughts. So, you know, people on both sides are expecting those sorts of conversations. Just from a practitioner health perspective, one of the reasons the service was set up was because of the fear that a mental health issue or some issue like this would have on a doctor's career and their progress throughout. So I imagine that uh, many trainees would be reluctant to engage in conversations of this nature with their supervisors for fear that it would impact their their career progression in some way detrimentally because we know medicine is a small world. Pe- you know, people talk. So I think uh, it's really important to reassure trainees that such conversations when they take place are confidential and and um you know that they they are there as supportive they're not not there as a they're not there as a judging exercise so we know we know that and and confidentiality is another really big fear um that um that people had they really worry about people finding out about um about something in their personal life about a mental health issue doctors are very good at stigmatizing mental health issues they don't you know it's okay for other people to suffer with depression but not not in my backyard thank you and then the other thing, what might be uncomfortable for, for super, supervisors, for people, that, for the trainers, actually engaging in these conversations might actually provoke feelings in themselves um, or, or um, that it might trigger um, memories or, or difficult, difficult uh, experiences in the past that the trainee is now going through. So there's also that to acknowledge and recognise that is also a, another potential difficulty. So they're not, not straightforward. No, so difficult conversations, but important to have them and important to feel able to have them, both from the trainee and the trainer perspective. 
So, Shirley, we talked about time being an issue and it's difficult to find the time. We've all got busy lives. So when should we have these conversations? Um, I think an education supervisor meeting is ideal because for each trainee, you have a series of meetings that you should have either at the beginning, the middle and the end. And so it's not like you're going out of your way to have a special conversation with a trainee. It's part of the routine programme for their for their training needs. And it's it's you know, it should be somewhere where it's private, you can have a confidential conversation, you can talk about all the things you want to talk to without, you know, the scrub nurse sitting in the coffee room next door listening to what you're saying. And you have to have these meetings anyway. And also it's you're in that role where you're being the supportive educational supervisor with your trainee. And so that space and that time is there for you both to have a conversation about whatever is needed, really. And Robin, from the trainee perspective, what do you think about that? How does that feel as a trainee? I think it's nice to know that even if you're having emotions uh, around certain areas of your life, that there is something in place that you don't have to go out of your way to ask for. And uh, a bit reflecting on what I was saying at the beginning, how we like to just cope and silently cope, having that meeting in place means that you know that there is something coming that you can you can then talk about whatever you want to. And it's someone who hopefully, if done in the right way, is someone that feels familiar to you and someone who you trust. So certainly that environment feels a lot more psychologically safe than an environment that's more informal and there's not an agreement about the confidentiality of that conversation around it like there is in a supervisor meeting. And you know this very much is part of the ethos of our Excellence in Surgical Supervision course you know, the ethos of ESS is all about the relationship between the trainee and the trainer and the supervisor and making sure that we're not treating trainees as just a number, that these meetings aren't just tip box exercises and we actually think of the trainee as a human being with all of the issues that go with being a human being. That's a life outside of work, that's needs in work in terms of training and in terms of supervision uh, and very much the roles of a supervisor are more than just doing the the tip boxes yes you can progress to the next stage of training or, or have another wba but it's you know being a mentor being a supporter as well as being a supervisor and part of that is you know, actually just caring about them as a human being and maybe checking in with them so okay we can say that our ES meetings are perhaps the ideal venue to at least start these conversations. But of course, the other part of being a supervisor and what we encourage in ESS is that you continually check in with your trainee. In fact, there's lots of meetings that you have with your trainee. Some of them are formal, some of them are informal, and those are all opportunities uh, to be able to check in and and start the conversation but we said earlier we feel a bit awkward and we don't really know how to have these conversations nobody's told us how to have this sort of conversation nobody's told us what to say how to initiate a conversation it's difficult enough in 
you know, life outside of work with your friends to sort of check in with them. Maybe that's more of a male thing than a female thing, stereotypically, but we're not very good at, you know, exposing our feelings and wanting to hear about somebody else's feelings. So how do we do that? What are the, you know, those hooks into a conversation uh, and what sort of language should we be using? So um, I think it's probably important to acknowledge that there is a, a cultural, um, that there is a cultural tendency to expect the answer fine to whenever you ask how are you to someone and if you, if anyone answers anything but fine there is a slight moment of panic um, as to how you might respond to that. So um, there is that in, in play here. I think that it is okay if people don't say um, actually things are not great at the moment. What's important I think is to maintain a sense of curiosity about what's happening with that person and if they don't say if they don't say fine it's perfectly appropriate for you to have a follow-up question with oh tell me tell me tell me about it what what's happening um of course we talked about confidential spaces earlier and that's really important it's really not appropriate to have conversations like like, like this over the operating table or or you know with in the coffee room when people aren't going to feel comfortable about about talking about how they are but how are you is a perfectly good opener what is what might also help facilitate a conversation like this would be to actually share your experience of what's happened that day or something something that's happened that day or that was a really difficult that was a really difficult shift or that was a really difficult uh, meeting or that was a really difficult procedure um, how did you find it and that sort of sharing of the experience often gives the person a leeway into um, into your world and being able to share their their experience it gives them a bit of an opening and if you if you sense it's recognizing really what um, that someone isn't okay if you if you notice that the the trainee perhaps isn't themselves is a bit quieter than normal or a bit more disengaged or more irritable just something's off again it's perfectly appropriate to just, for you to just open with how are you doing um and if they say fine well, i i notice that you seem a bit down today or i notice that you seem a bit irritable today is everything okay tell me about it Open questions are really good because um, it makes people less able to say, fine, yes, no. I think, tell me about your day. Uh, tell me how things are um, is, is a better better way of addressing things. And of course, um, making sure that they know that you are listening and focused on, on them, not intently, but you, know, you're, you are interested in what this is. You're not, you're not um, looking at Facebook at the same time as having a conversation or, or, or such like. So I really like that turn of phrase actually said, you know, just maintaining a sense of curiosity, which is all part of caring about your trainee as a human being. And then how that language can be as simple as just, so how are you? But using an open question and being able to follow that up with, I've noticed, you know, I have noticed that you seem a bit quiet today or that you weren't quite on top form. Is everything okay? I quite like that. How does that feel to you as a trainee, Robin? Well, I think within the educational supervisor meeting, we, we have to remember that part of this meeting is to do with how you're performing on a uh, on a numbers level. Um, so I think it's really important that as a supervisor, that part of the meeting is distinguished from this other part of the meeting. 
um, because obviously there's a tendency in the, in in the former part of the meeting to be talking about all the the points that you need to meet and being as good as you know being as um, all all the uh, hitting all of the milestones and it doesn't leave very much room at all for being vulnerable um, and saying oh actually I'm finding things difficult um, so one thing I would say is that finishing the signing off box ticking part of the meeting before addressing the next part of the meeting and and saying and how are you, how are you in general that kind of physical recognition that, that none of this is going to be recorded and you're not going to be judged for it is quite a nice um is quite nice reassurance to the trainee that what they say is not going to affect their ARCP outcomes it's not going to be recorded on their ISCP going back to uh talking about sort of um the language that's used I, I really liked what Zaid was saying about being a little bit vulnerable yourself as a trainer and saying Cot, I found the last few months quite hard how did you find it I really like that because it allows you again talking a bit more about not feeling isolated and like your experiences are being shared um that's a nice way for it almost to feel like a joint conversation um to open up how how a trainee may be feeling about uh, their work and their work-life balance yeah and uh, you know i contact trainees um via email before they start with me and part of that email is asking about them and their training needs but part of that email is also sharing a bit about myself you know husband father other things so hopefully that's the start of that conversation by opening up yourself a little bit it might make the trainee feel that they can open up to you and surely in terms of the language that we're using in starting these conversations how's that feeling to you i think as they's already said open questions are really important i think not saying anything that can come across as being brisk or judgmental even before that conversation starts. I think at the end of an educational supervisor meeting, as Robin says, is great because your trainees had a chance to spend 10 minutes, 15 minutes with you. They've been able to gauge the mood of the conversation. And some of the time it, it, it it's almost like a, a warm up where they've actually plucked up the courage to say, and actually there's this thing I want to talk about. It's a bit like, you know, the end of a GP consultation, isn't it? Where, you know, the patient spends seven minutes talking about their bad hip and then says, oh, and by the way, doctor, it's a little bit like that. And so I think you've just got to be able to listen and be able to make your trainee feel like whatever they say, it's okay, it's confidential, and we will be supportive. And I would just also add that these conversations don't necessarily have to happen formally as part of a, uh, an ES meeting that, you know, these can happen, uh, you know, if you're in a position, um, and I say of power, so if you're in a training grade above, you know, above a, another trainee or a consultant with a registrar or consult with, S, with um, ST1 or 2, you can still have these conversations and you can still have supportive conversations, but you just check in to, to see how, how you are. They, they don't need to be formal formal exercises and I don't I wouldn't underestimate the, the the impact that those conversations can have on a trainee when I was a junior doctor I was going through quite a difficult time I remember I remember a, a, a SPR at the time in pediatrics just asking me how I was and had noticed that um, I wasn't quite myself and that stayed to me to this day I still remember him and that conversation because it was probably the only one of the times in in my training period that everyone, anyone actually ever did that 
So those conversations can really stay with people that are really important. I think even if you're not uh, struggling uh, with something in particular at the time, having someone more senior to you ask how you are just does give you a real sense of feeling valued and part of part of a community, which is so important, we know, in surgery. So asking people, even if you think, even if it's just that they're okay and you're asking, normalises the conversation. I, I wanted to make a point that you don't have to ask people how they are just if you're worried about them. It's also okay for to have a conversation with your trainee at a supervisor meeting and then say, yes, actually, I'm good. You know, my work feels like it's at a good level at the moment. I feel like I've got some good work-life balance and I've got hobbies on the side. That's also a really nice conversation. And that still adds to a trainee's experience just as just as much as, uh, you know, supporting a trainee in, uh, who, who's having difficulties in any way does. And I don't forget that, again, um, in the service, what we've seen with doctors is that their lives can be falling apart outside of work. Like, you know, we've had doctors who've been living in their car, but still going to work and no one would know any different. Um, so things, they're very, very good at still attending to work, putting on a good front, uh, doing their best for the patients. And so it's just to keep things in mind, actually, you know, having those conversations regularly just gives people a, a way in um, to, to talk about what is going on with them if they're feeling safe to do so normalizing it so and this doesn't need to be you know you don't need to be over precious about it you know asking everyone how are you how are you how are you these are just um you know just a regular touch in with people it's just part of being i think a, a nice colleague and human really so again I, I like the language that we're using i like that we can call this a supportive conversation and that should very much be at the heart of what we're trying to do as supervisors and uh, i like the idea of it being a check-in and that check-in applies whether you've maybe spotted any signs of underlying issues or absolutely not, as Robin was saying. It can be part of that initial educational supervisor meeting that you have where you start this conversation and you check in and you normalise the fact that these conversations happen and your trainee can come to you at any point. And then it's part of that sort of regular touching base and checking in with the trainee during the rest of the placement. And as Robin rightly says, I think that's absolutely right. It's whether you think there's a problem or not. It's just checking in and seeing how you're going. So are there any particular things that we should be covering during the check-in? So beyond the conversation starter that we've talked about and open questions that allow the trainee to be able to fill the space. Is there anything in particular that you think it is important that we cover? So from my perspective, um, I, I think the opening is really important and just the invitation to share a bit about what's going on with that person. That's probably one of the most important aspects of the of that conversation. General questions that you might want to, to ask could be what's, you know, in general, how are things at the moment? Is there anything at work which is impacting you on you particularly? Um, anything positive or negative? Anything you're finding good? What's good? What's what's not so good? What could be better? Again, trying to give the trainee some responsibility in that. What can they do about making things better? Um, and what can we do about making things better? And this is something I use personally with some of my conversations is 
Uh, where are you on a scale of one to ten at the moment in terms of how happy or, or content you are with with things, work or otherwise? And if they say, "Well, I'm a seven, I'll say, "Well, what what would take you to an eight? Um, just as a, it gives you a bit of a, an idea of what, and it makes me think actually, well, what what might make it, what, what might make that an eight? It gives it just gives you a little bit of a not a realization, but a, some responsibility in what 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 could be done to make things a bit better for them. So those are those are things that could be covered in, in a conversation like that. I think in my work as a welfare rep, I've realised that, you know, trainees have come and raised points and things that they want me to look into about all manner of different things inside and outside of work. And what it's made me realise is that every trainee has a different work and personal life experience. And some of that, again, individually, they do or don't want to talk about at work. So I think it's it's important to, like Zay was saying, keep things broad and allow the conversation to be guided by the trainee so that they can talk about the things that feel important to them. And they also feel happy to talk to you about because some people don't want to talk about, you know, their personal life at work or they don't want to talk about their work life with their work colleagues. Um, and that's also absolutely fine. So I think not asking specific questions about, you know, various topics, but opening a conversation that can allow them to talk about both their their work and their personal life and be guided by the responses of that is important. I think some of the time just having a conversation and making having a conversation between you as being normal is enough because for some trainees they don't want to talk about stuff or they want to pick their moment. For some people they need to build up that trust and that relationship. And by just having a conversation builds that relationship. So when they want to, or when they need to, and they may never need to or want to, then they know that that trust is there and that relationship is there. I mean, building the relationship and it is about trust and the trust works both ways. And, you know, as supervisors, it's our responsibility to lay those foundations uh, and then, you know, allow the trainee to work with us to, to build from there. So it's interesting what Zaid said, you know, I'm a seven. Okay, what would get you to an eight? As a supervisor, your fear, my fear sometimes is they say something that I cannot influence. And, you know, as a slightly flippant example, uh, they say, well, I'd, I'd really like to be on call less. I have very limited control over the on-call rotor and staffing. We have things we can control, we have things we might be able to influence, and then there's a lot of things that are that are just out with our control as supervisors and trainers. And I think that's part of the fear that we ask a question and something comes back that we just can't deal with. We can't help in specific situations or maybe it is something that is mental health or well-being related and we feel completely you know unequipped to be able to deal with that does that sort of ring true for you Shirley? Yeah I think a lot of it is you're always slightly worried what's going to come back and some of the time something very unexpected that you think oh my goodness how am I going to deal with that comes back I think we have to acknowledge that we're not going to be able to deal with everything that we find out about. I think we have to acknowledge that 
our role is not to sort out all the problems, but we're there to listen. We're there to support. We're there to guide and say, well, this is not within my control, or I don't know very much about this, but I can find you someone that can, or direct them to resources where you think there will be some support and some help. I think as surgeons, we have a brilliant and pathological tendency to try and make things better all the time. And that's something that's really tricky and I think gets to the heart of a lot of why maybe as surgeons we do find these conversations a bit difficult because we don't always have the answers. And that's why it's quite a difficult skill perhaps for for some people to listen and not jump in with a response and a solution to the problem all the time. Yeah, I think that's quite right, Robin. So I think I think uh, medics in general find it quite difficult to deal with things that they can't immediately fix, uh, where there is no no in clear cut solution. And I can understand that in surgery, that probably is even more so um, the case. But when you are confronted with something that you think, well, I didn't see that coming, or I have no idea what to do with that, there would be there's no harm in you actually. I don't know the answer to that, or I I'll come back to you. Let's uh, let's follow that up in. What have you? That's another conversation. And you can then you can speak to other supervisors, other other colleagues about um, you know what what you might do with that, what the answer might be. Um, and in terms of if things come up where you aren't the expert, uh, you you know you, if, if if there is a mental health issue that you, you're not able to deal with, it's not your uh, not your forte. Again, you, it's not that that shouldn't be an expectation of you. But what you should be able to do would be to signpost them to where they can get that support. So whether it be us at practitioner health or other other mental health wellbeing services, there's lots of them. Just being aware of how um, the the trainee can get that that support if they need to. So you, in summary, you don't need to have all the answers. Um, you can get help. You can phone a friend if you need to. Um, you can maintain a natural sense of curiosity about things that trainees come back to you with or ask about to try and get behind them. Um, and signpost when when you need to. We're not mental health experts, and we're not encouraging supervisors to think of themselves as mental health experts or experts in well-being. What we're trying to encourage is exactly as Zaid's describing. You know, asking the question and uh, maintaining that sense of curiosity, and developing a relationship where a trainee has trust to be able to confide in you. And then it's about the resources for you as a supervisor and for the trainee to be able to access. And there will be resources that will be at all levels. There will be local resources within your workplace, within your trust. There will be regional resources available via the HEE, deanery, NHSE, whatever we call it now. And there will also be national resources like practitioner health, as an example. There is just, you know, perhaps you ought to make an appointment to see your GP or would it be helpful if we arranged a referral to occupational health? There's so many things that we can do without being the expert in whatever has been disclosed to us. And I think that's what we're trying to encourage. The curiosity, just asking the question and then feeling supported to be able to signpost I think that one thing that supervisors can do as groups in in regions is share resources. Often we have large WhatsApp groups as uh, as trainees and forums and email threads. 
sharing information about you know resources that are available how to get your mileage expenses back how to negotiate your tax codes when you're emergency tax and you've run out of money and it's all a nightmare how to sort out nurseries and parenting childcare and it's something that uh, as a deanery in seven we've started sharing with our supervisors and so i think having a hub where we as trainees and supervisors can share all these excellent resources because they they are out there and sometimes i think it's overwhelming the the amount can be quite overwhelming but certainly sharing ones that have worked well for people can be really empowering for both trainees and trainers uh, having conversations and can be an easy way to kind of direct trainees to resources I think it can also, knowing that those resources are there, can make people more confident in having those conversations, knowing that they've got that hub of, of information behind them and they don't have to store it all in their head and know it all. And this is where the college does recognise its role in supporting trainers and supervisors to be able to support trainees. And we are developing an online resource for supervisors that gives supervisors some of these resources and some of the signposting that they might need if they're going to have these conversations with trainees. So I think we've talked about how trainee well-being and, and mental health is important. We've talked about the prevalence of problems and why we as supervisors in particular don't have these conversations and why trainees might feel that it's challenging to have these conversations. We've talked about where we might have the conversations and how we would start them, and then what sorts of things that we might cover during the conversations, and then recognising we're not mental health experts, and the important thing is to have the conversation, to develop a relationship where the trainee and the trainer have trust in each other to be able to have open and honest conversations. Uh, and to be able, particularly as supervisors, to be able to signpost and support the trainee through any challenges that they might be going through. But one of the things we said quite early on is, is that we're trying to normalise this. Having this sort of conversation needs to become a, a normalised practice. And I guess that's kind of culture change, isn't it? It hasn't been the culture within surgery or perhaps medicine more broadly. It hasn't necessarily been the culture uh, within, you know, trainee, supervisor relationships. So how can we as individuals drive this culture change and make this the norm? Well, I, I think I mentioned it a little bit earlier and Zaid gave a really good example in sort of how we have the conversations. But I think leading by example is really important. So you know, as supervisors being open and honest about times that have been difficult or examples that you've had where things haven't got gone to plan and how you've reacted to that can be really helpful in, in validating a trainee's experience and allow them to, to open up. Um, certainly at inductions. So when we, you know, we go through lots of milestones as trainees, ST3 is a massive milestone you know, SD5, SD8, all, all these starts of the year um, can be a real opportunities to set uh, set the environment and um, the, the the set that environment by the, something that the supervisors at the inductions and certainly the training program directors can also 
talk about at inductions and at during email conversations before you start your placement, you know, I am open to be, I expect to be uh, having conversations about how you're doing. This is a normal thing. I think my my summary would be that the the supervisors getting information from each other about what works and what doesn't, and then being open with their trainees about the fact that they are expecting these conversations right from the get go is something that gives both both uh, trainees and trainers confidence um, and may help drive that cultural change. I think it's something even more fundamental than that is that actually during your first few meetings or all the way through, you make it known to your trainee that they can come and talk to you about anything and it gives them permission to come and do that if they want to and they need to. You know, I, certainly for the first meeting I have, I will always say, you can come and talk to me about anything you like. I may not be able to help you, but I might be able to find you someone that can. And so you give them permission to come and trust you and to build a relationship with you. And the point about sharing, sharing with your colleagues who are also trainers and supervisors, sharing with your trainees who might then share with other trainees who might then share with other supervisors that they have. We can be the change, can't we? We can start this. We can encourage people to listen to podcasts like this. We can ask people if they wouldn't mind going on, you know, courses like ESS where we describe and discuss how you can build the relationship and as Robin says, promoting this sort of, and, and again, I'll use Zay's phrase, psychologically savvy conversation, you know, just maintaining curiosity and just asking the question and starting the conversation with a foundation of trust could be really powerful. And nobody, but nobody wants their trainee to get to the point of suicidal thoughts or worse. And so... You know, we have a role, we have a responsibility, and we have the privilege as supervisors to be able to have those supportive conversations and, you know, enable our trainees to thrive and succeed. So I just want to thank everybody for their time today. Zaid, Shirley and Robin, it's been great chatting to you. Uh, and for anybody listening, uh, I hope that you've been able to take something away from this and you'll feel empowered to have that conversation with your trainee. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We will be back in the new year with some brand new content and maybe some other new surprises as well. As I said up top, please do get in touch if you'd like to leave some feedback or propose an episode topic. For more updates and information from the college, please visit our website or follow us on social media. Happy New Year!